Welcome to Adorn Podcast. This is episode 50, and today we're going to cover Genesis 28 through 31. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Adorned Podcast. We're your hosts, Erin and Casey. We would love for you to come join us each week as we discuss what it means to be made beautiful by God's Word. Whether you are a college student walking to class, a mom folding laundry during nap time, or a boss babe sitting in rush hour traffic, we hope that we can encourage and inspire you to pursue a deeper understanding of the Bible. Episode 50. Can you crazy. believe we're on episode 50? That's so awesome. It's so crazy. So we decided to start off with a little something fun, and Erin doesn't know what I'm about to spring on her. Nope. But last week, we talked about her love of food as she's sitting here, like, <laughs> digging into food as we're recording this podcast. So we talked about it because we saw that um, Esau traded his birthright for a bowl of lentil stew. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about Eve in the garden with food. And um, so Aaron was like, I hope God never tests me with food because I'd be in trouble (laughs) because Aaron likes her some food. So Aaron and I have talked about this before personally, but I don't think we've ever talked about it on the podcast. So I was going to ask her on here, Aaron, if you could choose anything, even if your body could tolerate gluten and dairy, to be mm. your last meal, mm. what would it be? This is a fun question. Last meal. Okay. I think it would honestly be even something I can eat now. It would be Hop Dottie, which if you don't live locally, you probably don't know what Hop Dottie is, but it's a burger restaurant. Mm. But it's so good. And they have this incredible turkey burger I made, maybe <laughs> would get a normal burger I don't know maybe I would get do you a beef even like body. beef I used to did you like it yeah. okay yeah um but they have these gluten-free buns that are so good and a giant side of french fries oh their french fries are the best so the parmesan oh you don't even get the parmesan ones. no I can't have a parmesan the parmesan ones. One, you'd have to get the parmesan ones because your body I'm saying is saying like you could tolerate dairy for this because it wouldn't <laughs> Cause matter because you're about to die anyway <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why you would die <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, mm, hot dotty so would be burger mine. and fries. Mm. That sounds delicious. So last week we um, talked with Hannah. And it was a really good episode covering mm-hmm. most of Isaac's life. And we left off with um, Isaac had just been deceived by Jacob. And Jacob means deceiver. That's what his name means. And he had deceived um, Isaac and he had deceived Esau into giving him um, his birthright. And so at the end of it, Esau was coming after him to to kill him. And um, basically, Rebecca was like, Jacob, because Rebecca loved Jacob more than she did Esau, and Isaac loved Esau more than he did Jacob. And um, Rebecca was like, Jacob, you better run. So um, that's kind of where we pick up pick up in chapter 28. And before we jump in right there, I, I read this quote about this passage, and we, we've said this multiple times as going through Genesis, but I think it's a good reminder for us, um, any book of the Bible that you're going through, to to first be looking for what we can learn about God before we jump to, what does this apply about me? What can I learn from Jacob? And so there's this passage from um, Gleaning from Genesis by A.W. Um, a. Pink, and it says, That which is most prominent in the divine dealings with Jacob was the matchless grace of God, shown to one so unworthy the marvelous patience exercised towards one so slow of heart to believe and the changeless love which unweariedly followed him through all his varied course to the faithfulness which no unfaithfulness on Jacob's part could change. I love that. The faithfulness Mm. which no unfaithfulness on Jacob's part could change and the power of God which effectively persevered Persevered, yeah, yeah, that's okay, right. Sorry. Persevered and delivered him through numerous dangers, and which in the end caused the spirit to triumph over the flesh, transforming the worm Jacob. <laughs> Love that he calls him a worm. <laughs> the worm Jacob in Israel into Israel, the prince of God. So I thought that was so great because it's reminding us that as we look at these kind of character stories, especially as we've started to like hone in on the family of Abraham and we looked at Abraham and Isaac and now we're really focusing on Jacob and it's easy for us to kind of look at them and think, 
okay, I need to match what they did or what can I learn about Jacob here? But mm-hmm. we want to kind of take a step back even further and say, no, what can we learn about God? And, and like that quote says, we in this passage, as we study Jacob, some things to keep our eyes open for are the matchless grace of God, the marvelous patience of God, his faithfulness, regardless of our unfaithfulness and the power of God, mm-hmm. um, which like it says, it, it causes the spirit to triumph over the flesh and transforms us. So I thought that was a really good kind of foundation before we dig back into Jacob's story to remind ourselves, like, these are the things that we're looking for. And these Mm -hmm. are the things that God's revealing about himself through the story of Jacob. Mm, That's good. All right. So let's go. 28. 28. So in response to Rebecca's request that Jacob flee, Isaac tells Jacob to go to Paddan, Paddan Aram to his uncles to find a wife, which is still so weird to me. These families like marrying within yeah. families, but that's that's what they did. And this was around 500 miles. And so I was curious because I was like, okay, 500 miles. I yeah. wanted to like wrap my mind around that. And so I looked it up yesterday and that's from here to Amarillo. So if you're local, you probably mm. kind of know that distance, but that's kind of our halfway mark when we go to Colorado and that takes us about eight hours in the car so imagine like walking or riding on camel or donkeys or whatever they rode on (laughs) (laughs) all the way from here to Amarillo I mean that's that's a long way so um yeah so that's where he was going to his uncle's house to his uncle's house that sounds (laughs) just going to my uncle's house yeah and we see that um he tells him to do that. And then in verse three and four, it says that the God almighty may bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you and give you the blessing of Abraham possession of the land. Um, and that's kind of telling him why he's doing it. And then Jacob goes, um, and we see that, that same phrasing that we've heard over and over again, right? That God may bless you and to be fruitful and multiply. So the same creation mandate as we called it, um, is being reiterated to Jacob. Again and again, we see that over and over. And then Esau knows this um, happened and possibly in an attempt to please his parents, takes another wife, the daughter of Ishmael, but he still kept his two Hittite wives. So remember, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. Mm-hmm. So we'll the multiple that, wife yeah. thing um, isn't, isn't, it's not saying that that's what you should do. And I think it's interesting too, that even though he might've been trying to do the right thing in this, um, he married one of Ishmael's daughters. And as we talked about before, like the line of Ishmael, um, there's major issues between Ishmael and and the the Jews. And we continue to see that throughout scripture. So that's interesting. Yeah. So then he's on his journey and and you have to think about this before we move on is the fact that he was one leaving and fleeing, right? Because he was in this tense um tension between him and Esau. So Esau's still angry at him. So he's he's kind of fleeing and he's got to be afraid. I read when I was studying that during this time, a lot of people believed that your God or whatever only covered a certain area. Like once you go out of your city, your God doesn't have protection over you anymore. Hmm. That was kind of culturally what they, and we'll see that a little bit more later when we see Laban says like, you took the gods of my household. So it was like, they kind of only had so far of a reach. And so there's a possibility that Jacob could have been thinking here, once I leave my father's house, I I may not be protected anymore by my father's God, which is hard for us to wrap our minds around because we're not there culturally. But I think that helped provide a little context into why Mm -hmm. this was so scary for him and what a big deal it was that God met him while he was on his journey. So like we said, he's going about 500 miles alone. And so we see here that he um, he falls asleep and he has this dream and he puts a stone under his head. I love that it says like he takes one of the stones and puts it under his head. I know. Like, I thought that was like interesting that would too. be a comfortable I'm pillow. Like, oh man, that's horrible. <laughs> like that does not. Yeah, that does not um, sound good. So I'm just gonna read what the dream actually was because I think the actual verbiage is important here. So. Picking up in verse 12 of chapter 28, it says, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall... Spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. So remember how we were just saying, 
God's own there in their minds, God's only went so far. But here in verse 15, God is saying, no, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you may go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So there's so many interesting things to talk about in this verse, but um, where should we start? Where should we start? So I like um, that we see, like with the Tower of Babel, the people were trying to go up to heaven, up to God. And in this, we see that God's coming to us. And I just, I love that picture. And also like in John 1, 51, mm-hmm. um, where Jesus describes himself as the latter. So that says that Jesus is the mediator between God and man. Um, that the only way we can get to heaven is is through Jesus. So we're seeing this way back in Genesis, um, what will come to fruition in the New Testament. Yeah, that's good. So another thing to note here is, so like we said, he's on his own. He's in the wilderness. He doesn't think that God's going to be able to be there with him because of these like regulations on their gods, which obviously shows they're not real. Anyway, okay. So um, he also, God also meets him there when he's asleep. And we see this other times in scripture, God, you know, talking to people and meeting people in their dreams. But in this one, it specifically said that that was when Jacob was the most weak and the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. He was the most open to attack from enemy or animals or anything like that. And and that's where God met him. And I think that's so interesting because we are so leery of putting ourselves in places where we're vulnerable. And a lot of times that's where God really, really teaches us something. Yeah. And it's also interesting because I struggle the most at night. And I know mm-hmm. other people have talked about how they do too. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really connect the dots until just now but this morning I was up at 3 30 and I just couldn't sleep and I went and checked on my girls Cadence has had the flu and I so I went and checked on them and came back to bed and I was like well if I guess I'm not gonna sleep I'm just gonna pray and I had been studying for this but Mm -hmm. I didn't even connect the two that you know that is when we're our most weak and most vulnerable and maybe maybe God needed that you know maybe he was trying to show me like you need to come to me in Mm. these in these tough moments like I'm what's going to give you give you strength and give you comfort and Mm -hmm. peace I'm the only one that's going to do that so yeah that's good yeah so then just a couple of recaps on verse 14, we see God reaffirming that promise that he made to Abraham. He's just telling Jacob again, here's what I've promised you. And then 15, I love that one. That's the one I reread, but where he says, behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. I liked this. It reminds me of how Jackie Hill Perry says that the gospel is not only what saves us, but it's what keeps us. Mm-hmm. We're it, The salvation, it's not just a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. It's a daily thing. Yeah. He keeps us. Yeah. I love that. I love that too. And then in verse 17, we see that he was afraid. And this was a worshipful fear of the Lord. Um, Psalm 211 says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And then I love how um, we also see that he says, how awesome is this place? Mm-hmm. And it, it that's, I like it because it sounds like something that we would say yeah, today. Awesome. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, just the way that it said. And, um, but then I was reading in my Bible notes and it said, it's meant to convey a sense of wonder, majesty, and reverence. Mm. A daily dose of awe. Yep. So then when he wakes up, he sets up this <laughs> pillar stone. His, he wrote pillow stone. Pillow stone <laughs> as a pillar. <laughs> Side note, this That's is so, so random. But we went to this really old cemetery when we were in Boston. One of the tombstones, it was supposed to say you're a, he was a pillar of society, but they misspelled it, and it says he was a pillow of society. Oh, no. <laughs> and the tombstone, he died in like 1780 or something like that. So, so long ago. <laughs> Nobody fixed it. Oh, a my pillow. goodness. Anyways, that's, that's not awful. really relevant, but it's funny. <laughs> yeah. um, anyways, he, he sets this up, and he um, calls it Bethel, which means house of God. So then he, there's this kind of weird exchange that happens where – you know, God just reveals himself to Jacob. And then Jacob's like, well, yeah, if you do all these things, then you'll be my God. And this kind of like if and then situation, which really what we can take away from that is that even though Jacob had just experienced and encountered God, he still wasn't fully ready to trust him and commit his life to him. So he's kind of like, hey, prove it to me a little bit more, like if this, then that. And that just shows us like we started out with that um, that saying that he's a worm, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. we're all worms. Or I mean, deceiver. if we think about yeah. it, we do that yeah. all the time. God, for if you sure. just heal me in this moment, then I'll do this for you. And Ugh, we know that that's not right, but we see, we see, um, mm-hmm. we see that here all the way back to Jacob. Yeah. And that just shows that he wasn't, he didn't really know who God is. Mm-hmm. And that's another, I mean, 
we say it all the time and we'll keep saying it. That's the reason that biblical literacy is so important. So we can know who God is and we know his Mm -hmm. character. And then when we come to him, we're coming to him rightly. Mm -hmm. You know, we can have um, this relationship with him based on who he is because we read this now and we're kind of like, well, this is silly. But I mean, to Jacob at the time, it wasn't silly, but it's solely because he didn't really understand who God was. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly like what you're saying. He's he's thinking it's about what we do, mm-hmm. right? Not yeah. what God has already done. And th- here's another quote from that P- that A.W. Pink book. He says, instead of resting in the goodness of God and appropriating his free grace, like Jacob, we bargain and enter into conditions and stipulations. May the God of grace enlarge our hearts to receive his grace. And may he empower us to magnify his grace by refusing to defile it with any of our own wretched additions. And this really, really convicted me because in my mind, like, I'm like, oh yeah, Jesus has, you know, paid the price and it's finished. Like he said, it is finished and there's nothing I can do to add to the gospel. But then in my day-to-day workings, I'm still trying to kind of work for favor. Yeah. As much as I, I know in my head, it's not true. I still find myself Oh, look at how well I'm discipling my kids, God. Like, you must Mm -hmm. like me. Give me some bonus cookies or whatever, you know. And I know that's not true. But it's a constant reminding ourselves of what Jesus has done and how that is enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's... It's constant. We got to do it daily. Reminding ourselves of the gospel daily like we talked about a long time ago. So then we start chapter 29. And um, I just like to imagine Jacob now. Like, he was so probably afraid to go on this journey and go this 500 miles but now he met with God there and he's got he's got someone to go with him right so he's not so lonely anymore and I personally hate being alone so mm-hmm. just like thinking about that for him like makes me really happy for him God's there <laughs> with you he's gonna go with you wherever you go um, and then he sees this well so we kind of skip forward to when he actually gets there um, and he sees this well and he talks about the sheep and at first it seems kind of random but then it makes sense so he talks about the sheep and he sees some shepherds and he asks them if he's near to um, Laban his uncle there sorry say it Laban? yeah Laban. okay um, at least that's how it says it on the bible app okay <laughs> and they're like yeah this is actually his daughter coming towards us and at first i thought that's weird a girl as as a shepherd but apparently that wasn't weird i, know, it was I normal. thought the same thing yeah well, apparently it was normal um and she was bringing her sheep over which obviously we see god's providence in that which i thought was was really neat um and then I thought this was so funny because he sees Rachel and he like tries to get the other guys to leave. He's like, all right, shepherds, don't you have something you want to go do? Like, hey, go away. And then <laughs> we see him out. She's like, she needs to get water for her sheep. And Jacob's like, I'll move that stone. And in, when it was talking about the stone and the sheep at the beginning, it made to sure it made a point to talk about how big the stone was. So Jacob's like, let me just show off, which I just, I just love remembering like these are real people. Right. And so he probably really was showing off, you know? Yeah. It was really funny. Probably so. Yeah. So I like this because, um, we can see kind of how it's similar to when Abraham's servant servant was looking for a wife for Isaac because Mm -hmm. they all also met at a well. But it's an interesting contrast because the servant was very prayerful in his search for this wife for Isaac, whereas That's Jacob's good. just kind of like, whatever, like, sure, like mom and dad told me to come do this. So this is what I'm doing. Even though he had this encounter with God, we see that he still hasn't fully trusted God yet. So I think that's interesting. Yeah, that's good. So then he runs over and he kisses her and you're like, ooh, Hallmark movie. <laughs> but no, don't don't go thinking that yet. That was just a normal cultural thing because then soon after when he sees his uncle, he does the same thing. So yep. Um, yep. And he explains that he's family and so they go back to the house and um, Laban does the same thing, comes out, hugs him, kisses him, family affection, all blah, 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 all that. Um, and then, and then Jacob stays there a month and, and apparently starts working for him. And this is when we start to see this, this thing that can seem very strange almost, uh, to us as Mm -hmm. Americans in this day and age, but he wants to marry Rachel. And so they work out this, this kind of deal, right? Where he says he'll work for him for seven years and then he can marry Rachel and, um, doesn't talk a lot about what happens during those seven years. And he also had another daughter. Yes. Leah. He also had Leah, yes. Which it men- mentions that she was, does it say ugly exactly? It said that she had something wrong with her eyes. So in uh, verse 17, it says, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Yeah. So I was listening to some different things on that, and it said that it didn't mean that she had bad eyesight. It meant that something was 
was not right with her eyes when you looked at her eyes. <laughs> I know. It's hard to say it and make it sound nice, but yeah. But remember, I can't remember where we were reading it the other day, but remember how it was saying that Jacob was also really ugly? Yes, that's right. Yep. Yep. I heard that several places too. Yeah. That's a total tangent. But yes. hey, maybe it's real <laughs> So he he does this. He works um, for the seven years and then he he wants to marry Rachel. So then the night of the wedding... We see this trick that happens where Laban actually sends Leah. And you might think like, what? How did he not know? But remember, there's no electricity back then. And most likely she had some sort of veil or something like that. And it was dark. And so this seems very strange, but it's, I don't want to say it's ironic. It's obviously God's providence. But, you know, Jacob is known as the deceiver. Mm -hmm. And he um, then in turn ends up being deceived by Laban. And do you want to say anything else about that? Yeah. And it's also really... um keep saying interesting because there's a lot of stuff I need to expand my vocabulary but I think it's crazy how we see that Jacob took advantage of Isaac's blindness just a few chapters back and now Laban is taking advantage of the darkness to also deceive Jacob so that's really interesting again with interesting (laughs) no it's just funny it's things that like you wouldn't necessarily catch Mm -hmm. you would just read over Mm-hmm. Then you're like, oh, God especially has a sense if of you're humor. reading it as like individual stories, mm-hmm. like separate from each other, right, you might right. not catch it. But when you're reading it, you know, in one big story, like like we've been doing, you're more likely to catch those things. Right. Right. So we see now that Jacob, the deceiver, has been deceived. Many people, I guess, call this poetic justice. And I was reading there's actually a lot of examples about this in the Bible. Um, one in the New Testament is like. Paul was one of the people who approved the stoning of Stephen, and then he actually ends up being stoned later. We'll see it even later in Jacob's life again, where we know that Jacob, he used goat hair to deceive his father into getting his birthright. And then later on, his sons use um, goat skin and goat's blood to try to make it seem like Joseph was killed to deceive mm-hmm. Jacob again. So there's wow. these kind of instances of poetic justice, which there's, there was a ton of examples. I just picked those two, but there was a ton mm-hmm. of examples of how this happens often in the Bible. But anyways, um, we pick up again in verse 25, and this is when he realizes that when Jacob realizes that it's Leah and he's angry and he says to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? Um, and we see here that... Laban's reasoning was that he didn't want the younger to get married before the older. So we're seeing again this this theme of younger and older and how that makes a difference in who God chooses to use and all of that. Which we had seen in the previous passage with mm-hmm. Jacob and Esau. Yep. It was kind of the same thing like, wait, why is the younger mm-hmm. getting what the older should be getting? Right. Um. So then Laban says, serve another year, years and I'll give you Rachel. I'm mm-hmm. like, man, what a bummer. <laughs> like, good <laughs> grief. He's already worked seven years. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we were talking about how we use our culture as an excuse for our sins so often because yeah. that's what Laban did. Laban was like, well, you know, in our, right. So this is what I did where in fact, like lying and deceiving is, is never okay. Mm-hmm. And so I was just thinking this through and thinking about how especially um, these days, the trend is to be is to be relevant, right? We mm-hmm. want to be able to relate with people. And so there's this, there's this time when you can kind of get toward the edge of sin when you're like, well, I'm wanting to fit in. I'm wanting to relate. I'm yeah. wanting to, wanting to show these people Jesus, which is good, but you have to really check your heart and make sure that you're not stepping into that sinfulness too. And mm-hmm. it's tough. And we don't ever want to appear like, quote unquote, holier than thou or anything like that at all. But at the same time, we we don't want to just dive into sinfulness or in order sinfulness. or condone sinfulness in order to be relevant. Right, right. Um, and I mean, we've talked about it before, but, um, you know, almost like shouting your sinfulness like from Instagram or mm-hmm. Facebook just so people can see it where in fact like you should be repentful of your right, sin like it's right. okay and yes we all sin and I think it's important for people to know that and to not see um, believers as perfect but at the same time we should we should feel sorry for our sin mm-hmm. and we should have regret and remorse right. and we should want to change that as we've talked about in the past so yeah. Just a little, a little bit of a soapbox. Yeah, and anytime like that we're, our goal should not be 
to be relatable. Our yes. goal should be to be more like Jesus. Exactly. So anytime we exactly. are trying to relate, it should be in an effort to point others mm-hmm. and yourself towards Jesus. Exactly. One of my favorite verses has always been Romans 12 too, And it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Yes. Very good. So then when Jacob does, he works, um, he actually gets to marry her before he finishes the years. Yes. Right? Like is a week, a week okay. or something. I yeah. thought that was how I understood yeah. it. Um, and in verse 30, it says he loved Rachel more than Leah. And that just like, oh, it's so hard to read. I can't even imagine. But we have to remember that um, this is not, like like Casey said, it's descriptive, not prescriptive. And we have to remind ourselves, which we've said before, anytime we see multiple people married, it's always wrought with sin and it's always wrought with um, pain, pain and suffering. It's never a good thing. And that's, you know, that's God teaching us a lesson. Like, look, there's a reason that there's rules. One man, one woman. There's a reason for this. I mean, because this was before the Mosaic law, but we see in the first part of Genesis that he, he created it to be one man and one woman with Adam and Eve. So as you were studying this, did you find anything that kind of helped give us a little bit of understanding to this confusing marriage and situation so actually cadence did <laughs> believe it or not job, so cadence. i a couple of weeks ago when we started discussing this pas- passage i was telling jonathan i was like oh my goodness the story with rachel and leah it's so tough because it's you know this marriage to both of them and they said you know rachel was was more beautiful than leah but but then rachel was barren and leah's womb was open and cadence was listening and i did not realize it mm-hmm. and she comes into the kitchen and she marches over and she says, mama, I know that Leah wasn't very pretty, but God chose her. And you, you know what? God made her have a baby. And then she was the great, 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 great grandmother to Jesus. Mm. And I was like, um, how did you, did you read that in your Bible? Like, where did you read that? And she said, um, the Jesus storybook Bible, of course. And I was like, um, of course. So she brought it over, over to me. And I'm just going to read the page that she showed me because I think it explains it really well. No one loves me, Leah said. I'm too ugly. But God didn't think she was ugly. And when he saw that Leah was not loved and that no one wanted her, God chose her to love her specifically, to give her a very important job. One day, God was going to rescue the whole world through Leah's family. Now when Leah knew that God loved her in her heart, suddenly it didn't matter anymore whether her husband loved her the best or if she was the prettiest. Someone had chosen her. Someone did love her with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. So when Leah had a baby boy, she called him Judah, which means this time I will praise the Lord. And that's just what she did. And you'll never guess what got. At what job God gave Leah. You see, when God looked at Leah, he saw a princess. And sure enough, that's exactly what she became. One of Leah's children's children's children would be a prince, the prince of heaven, God's son. This prince would love God's people. They wouldn't need to be beautiful for him to love them. He would love them with all of his heart, and they would be beautiful because he loved them like Leah. So I love that. And that actually skips a little bit because before Leah has Judah, she actually has three other sons. Mm-hmm. And um, finally, when she has, and she has these sons and she's just kind of in this desperation to get Jacob to love her when mm-hmm. she has these sons. And then finally, like, like this, um, like the Jesus storybook Bible said, when she had Judah, she said, I, I will praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then that baby is the one that ends up being in the lineage of Jesus. And yeah. so it really is just such a beautiful story and it was so neat because my mind was just racing trying to figure out how I was going to present this on the podcast this this difficult passage that's that's so hard and confusing to understand and Cadence was like well this is what it is mom Mm -hmm. and I just was like you're right we don't need to overcomplicate it yeah and it's all about Jesus Mm -hmm. and it's all about God and how he sees us not Mm -hmm. how the world sees us yeah yeah I think that's really good and we're not going to go into naming in each child and this person and this child because you can read that straight from the text. But I thought one thing that I heard when studying this was that through each of these sons, you kind of see as she names them, their names have significance mm-hmm. into what God's doing into her heart. And, yeah. you know, God is teaching her, like, I am the only one that can satisfy. Like, your husband 
will will love you if he even if he doesn't like I am still the only one that can satisfy you have another kid that's a wonderful gift from God but still I am the only one that can truly satisfy your heart and so Mm -hmm. I thought that was just a good reminder for us that if we're searching for identity or joy or satisfaction in anything else even good things like family and that sort of stuff that truly God is the only one who can satisfy Mm -hmm. and we need to rest rest in that yeah so we see here um like I said, all these sons are being born and then through the maidservants. And we already talked about how that's not a good idea and all those things. But ultimately, we see um, what what is God doing here ultimately? So ultimately, here he's creating 12 tribes. Um, he might be also trying to make Jacob love her. I don't I don't know. Maybe these are just some thoughts that that might have been happening Mm -hmm. um and god also could be bringing her comfort Mm -hmm. so ultimately that's kind of what we can see about god through through these passages yeah and we'll talk more about those 12 tribes and like the significance of that as we continue to go through um as we continue to go through genesis but it is really interesting to note that how in detail we go in the story in the naming of them and who has these children and, and how that plays out as far as creating the 12 tribes of Israel, as, as we'll see throughout the rest of Genesis. So then we pick up in chapter 30. I feel like we're flying today. Yeah. So we mentioned already, we see anytime there's multiple wives, it always has a ton of complications. And Pink says that, that this um, demonstrates the wisdom and goodness of God's law, that each man should have one wife, his mm-hmm. own wife. Um, and, and he was talking about how as much as like we can read a, a rule or a law, sometimes we learn things better by watching it crumble if that makes sense like yes you can read a precept but when you see why that precept Mm -hmm. is there I mean think about it with your kids if you if you tell your kids don't eat 17 cookies they'll be like well why but if they eat 17 cookies and then feel sick you're like this is why you don't eat 17 Mm -hmm. cookies and and pink was arguing this is kind of what the you know what we can take away from the story is that God can tell us what's good for us and when we see oh that's why we shouldn't do that we're more likely to you know accept that yes yep so then we see that rachel is jealous of her sister because she's had babies and um she has not Mm -hmm. and she's very dramatic and she says give me children or i will die and she's talking to jacob and spoiler but this is ironic because later in chapter 35 she dies in childbirth oh so it's kind of ironic yes there's that poetic justice um so this makes a uh, makes abraham going back to (laughs) abraham this makes jacob mad um and he he says basically i don't have control over this i'm not god and then he doesn't pray for her or anything he just gets mad and like blames it on god yeah and this was convicting to me because i think a lot of times um we respond to the people in our life with anger when they're in distress over something instead of truly loving Mm. them and praying for them and pointing them to the truth so if Mm. someone else is like worried or anxious or frustrated over something that you don't understand like it's so easy to just be like get over it move Mm. on Mm -hmm. or talk to god about it it's not my problem Mm -hmm. instead of like truly just loving them and coming alongside them and and pointing them to the truth it's okay to point them to the truth but it's okay but it's important to do that in love mm, and so I thought that that was um just something that kind of stood out to me that's good and that's kind of a good point to like reflect right so a lot of times as we've been going through Genesis we'll have like kind of self questions so like stop for a moment and ask this about yourself is in, in a hard situation like what's your typical response or do you respond you know like Rachel like oh give me what I want you know in lament or in sorrow or in self-pity or or do you take those things to God or do you in before you go to God do you go to somebody else like it's a good thing for us to kind of check our heart as we've said and and just see what what's your normal your typical response and like how how, how should you be responding? And then are you, can you work on getting to a place mm-hmm. to respond the way that you should? Yeah. So Rachel, as we said, then has him sleep with her maidservant. We see this sounds familiar again, right? You think Seen they would have learned. Um, but he does. And she has a son. And I like the name, Dan. That's mm-hmm. an easy one. Dan. <laughs> like <laughs> easy all to the pronounce. other ones are, are so hard. <laughs> and then it's funny because we see this competition. Basically, Rachel's like, I'm winning, but she's not. So I don't really know why that happens. But then we see that Leah again starts getting jealous and she does the same thing and then has her maidservant um, 
sleep with him and then she has two more sons and I think this story like we said is reminding us just of our brokenness and of our, our need for God and how when we try to take things into our own hands well we just shouldn't try to take things no. into our own hands no we shouldn't so then Reuben gets some mandrakes which is a plant I kept every time I read that I was thinking of like an animal of some sort for some reason but it's a plant that could be um possibly known to help promote fertility and um Reuben is I think Leah's son right yeah Mm -hmm. so um Rachel is like hey Leah can I have some of Reuben's mandrakes and Leah says you are you've already taken away my husband and now you want these so Rachel bribes her and says if you give me these and then you get to sleep with Jacob tonight. So really interesting situation. And um, (laughs) so that all happened. And um, God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son named Issachar. And then she conceived again, had another son and then a a daughter. (laughs) Well, the son's name was Zebulun. Zebulun, And then the daughter's name was Dinah. And um, this is just a reminder that God is gracious despite our sin. Mm -hmm. Um, But then God listens to Rachel and opens her womb. And she has a son named Joseph. Yes, it's the one you're thinking of with the dream coat. Technicolor (laughs) Technicolor dream coat coat according according to Aaron. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it says in these verses, it says God remembered. And it immediately took me back to our days with Noah. Mm -hmm. And um, because it says that God remembered Noah too. And um, in my notes, it says that the Hebrew expression for this indicates actions based on a previous commitment and not merely mental recall. So Mm -hmm. it's not, once again, it's not like he forgot. It's just, you know, um, remembering these promises that he has made. And I like this because Rachel gave credit to God and not the mandrakes. Mm -hmm. Like she said, God has taken away my reproach and may the Lord add to me another son. It Mm -hmm. wasn't, yes, those mandrakes worked or, you know, thank goodness I bribed Leah. Like none of that. It was totally praise to God. So even in her um, kind of being deceitful and trying to go about things her own way, um, she still ultimately realized that that this was God's doing and not her own. Right. So here's just a little summary in case you want. This helped me. It was written out like this in my Bible, and this just helped give me a little bit of a visual. So the end of these chapters, these children we have, we have Leah, and she has Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Dinah. And then we have one of the maidservants, Bilhah. She has Dan and Naphtali. The other maidservant, Zilpah, has Gad and Asher. And then Rachel has Joseph. So -hmm. those are the children that we have had in these two chapters. (laughs) Yes, that's a lot of kids. A lot of kids. Um, So then we pick up again, and now Jacob is asking to go back to his homeland. So he says to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home country. Um, and in these, in this passage that we're about to read, we, we're highlighting how God's blessing is mediated through Jacob, but only to those who bless him. By mistreating Jacob, Laban is, is disadvantaged. Laban did not fear the Lord. He used divination, which um, I don't fully understand what it means, yeah, but it's not either. a good thing. No, it's like um, like stick. Yes. Like mystic, yes. Mysticism type yeah. stuff. Um, but even though he, it was a bad thing, he still was able to hear the right answers, which I think is very interesting. Yeah, it's interesting to me too. But anyways, he used, um, divination to see that he is, Laban has been blessed because of Jacob. And so he wants, but because of Jacob's presence there and he wants to keep him there. And then there's this whole weird sheep situation about sheep breeding and, all this stuff about the different ways to breed sheep. Yeah, it's really, I I did a lot of trying to read up on this. And there's just not a lot out there because I think everybody is kind of confused about it, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hey, Jonathan, what do you think about the sheep and goat situation? He was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, Laban asks what wages Jacob wants before he leaves. And Jacob says he'll take the spotted and speckled sheep, black lambs, and spotted and speckled goats. Then Laban said, sure, but he removed all, the, all of them. <laughs> so even uh-huh. after he said, sure, he took them all away. Deceiver again. Yes, yes. So then Jacob uses sticks to breed striped, spotted, and speckled animals. And he also made sure that the ones that bred and the ones that he would get, so the ones that were striped, spotted, and speckled, were the strongest one. And 
it's really odd. Like he put these sticks in front of him to make them be different colors. And so whether this was like magic that he had learned from this like divination that Aaron was talking about, or like maybe it was superstition, maybe it was a ritual. So we don't really know what Jacob was doing exactly Mm -hmm. here. It's kind of iffy. But um, ultimately, we do know that God provided for Jacob in this and that he provided... um, the animals. So he was, Mm -hmm. he was wealthy in terms of having a lot of animals. Mm -hmm. Good, good summary. (laughs) That's Um, a tough, we, we both were pretty stumped on that. So if there's anything inaccurate about what we just said, (laughs) just ignore us and move on. (laughs) Just pick up again at chapter three. Yes. (laughs) So in chapter one, um, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were say, were saying to Laban that Jacob has taken away all that was his father's and he has gained all this wealth and all this stuff. And so um, they were trying to get, La- I mean, we can infer that they were trying to get Laban mad at Jacob. So then um, in verse two, it says that Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. So something that his sons told him changed his attitude um, towards towards Jacob. And then the Lord tells Jacob to go back to the land of his family and reminds him that he, that he will be with him. And this is referring back to chapter 28, verse 15, um, during that dream when God mm-hmm. was like, I will bring you back to the promised land and you will be with your family and, and all of that that he promised in the dream. So I thought Mm -hmm. that was cool. Kind of bringing it full circle. Yeah. And it's, it's God, you know, reminding him, I am with you. I am with you. And he knows that the situation that um, Jacob's about to walk through is going to be a scary one. Just like when he was about to head out on that journey, it was going to be a fearful one. And, and God, before he even steps into that fear, God says, I will be with you. Which is so comforting to, I mean, because that's a promise true to us today that God is with mm-hmm. us wherever we will go. And so to just remind ourselves before we step into something that may be fearful that, that, that God is with us. And Jacob most likely was afraid because, you know, he was afraid of seeing Esau again. Um, he was afraid of upsetting Laban or having Laban chase him down and try to kill him if he left um, out of anger. And, and we, we see that God doesn't tell him everything's going to work out great or everything's going to be perfect or no one will fight against you or anything like that. He doesn't tell him anything like that. All he tells him is that I will be with you. Mm -hmm. And that's just a good reminder to me that, you know, God doesn't promise that everything's always going to be easy in our life, but that God will be with us. And I think if you really think about the base of that, like, is there anything more comforting than knowing that God will be with you? No. And I think it goes back to what you said earlier about not liking to be alone. Mm -hmm. Like for me, just that reminder that I'm always going to have someone right there with Mm me. And this is a whole nother topic in and of itself, but that he will fight my battles for Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. that I'm not alone. Like there's not, that's the most comforting thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I like that Jacob promptly obeys. Mm-hmm. He does it immediately, mm-hmm. which we've seen several other times, that immediate obedience. Yeah, and then in, in the next few verses, um, with the back to the sheep and the sheep situation. Um, I thought we were done with that. <laughs> he's ba- Jacob's basically saying that God has tried to bless me and Laban keeps trying to cheat me. And um, God shows up in a dream and reminds um, Jacob, in, and this is in verse... 13 God reminds him like I I've seen I've seen what has been happening to you happening to you I am God um and and he says I I know what's happening now now arise and go out from this land and return to your family and he's he's telling this to Rachel and Leah and they both respond um and saying okay, let's do what God has told you to do, which is really quite surprising. If you think about the past, like they never agree. They've always been jealous of each other, but they came together and they, and they both, um, said, okay, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do what, what you said. And, um, I think this is just really an interesting thing because if we think about that, that's really the best advice we ever can give. Right. Cause they say, yeah, do whatever God says. Like, best exact best advice there yeah. is yeah sweet Absolutely. and simple yeah um and and um it's just a good reminder for us that when God is in this verse he says the God of Bethel so he's reminded him I'm the same God that met you in that place at that rock I am the true God mm. and it's just cool to know that like he can he concerns himself with with things on earth. So I, I, we keep coming back to this randomly because I think it's a really good point that Genesis makes all the way throughout is that God could have created and stayed up in the heavenly mm-hmm. places, but he doesn't. He's constantly coming down to the lowly and reminding us of his covenant with us and his promises to us. And that I think that's just such a gift, especially 
who's someone who seems so random, like Jacob, he's yeah. not been great, yeah. making great choices, all that kind of stuff. And God's still like, I'm here. I'm here. You're not faithful. I'm faithful. And I'm here. I like you put a Spurgeon quote in here and you actually said Sturgeon. And I was like, <laughs> good thing I know you mean Spurgeon. I liked it though. It said the God of Bethel is a God who concerns himself with the things of earth. He is not a God who shuts himself up in heaven. Yeah. Spurgeon just puts it so simply. He does. He does. Yep. Love it. So then Jacob gets ready to flee um, and he actually doesn't tell Laban, um, which we're going back to that deceiver people, again, yeah. um, which I don't really understand why he doesn't do that, but there must have been, I don't know. He must have. Well, I think he says later that he was afraid that um, that Laban would try to keep Rachel and Leah. Mm. So he was like, I'm just going to sneak off because mm-hmm. I don't want you to take my wives. Mm. And um, while they're getting ready to leave, Rachel takes some of Laban's household gods. We don't know exactly what that means, but it was probably like some little statues or something like that that they thought offered some sort of protection. Did you read anything else about that? Not about the gods specifically, um, but just that, I mean, maybe she could have been saying that she didn't fully trust the God mm-hmm. of Jacob. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it's possible that she was afraid Laban would use them to harm Jacob, which once mm-hmm. again means she didn't fully right. trust Jacob's right. God. And she was afraid that her dad would like do something, like tell those gods to like yeah. hurt Jacob or whatever. Either way, it's it's kind of odd. Yeah. And I think like you're saying what what you're saying there about how she doesn't want to fully surrender or fully accept. And I think how often do we do that where we're like, let me just have a little backup plan. Let me have a little safety net here. Let me grab these other gods in case your God doesn't work. And I think we do that and we don't necessarily grab idols or like physical things, Mm -hmm. but we do that, right? We're like, okay, I trust you, God, with this, but I'm also going to have this kind of in the background in case that falls through. Mm -hmm. And that's us not fully surrendering and trusting God. And so that's, that's a good little, I know what my husband's thinking right now as he's editing this, he's thinking, yeah, Casey, it's like you saying, yes, I trust God, but then Googling things every Ah. 10 minutes. I know you're thinking that. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody can relate to that. I'm sure. Yes. So after three days, Laban was told that they had fled. I'm like, how did he not notice for three days? But maybe whatever. Um, And then he pursued them for seven days. And and God showed up to Laban in a dream, which I think was really interesting. I thought that was interesting, too, because I was like, Laban doesn't even believe in this God. Like, yeah, I thought it was great. That stood out to me, too. Yeah. So he shows up in a dream and he says, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. But he doesn't listen. Right? I mean, I interpreted that as he didn't listen because he shows up and he starts talking to him. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought about that. It doesn't say like it was yeah. directly disobedient. It doesn't right. say anything like that. But right. I'm like, I'm assuming that huh. that was obviously that's disobedient. That's interesting. Then. Yeah. Yeah. So Laban, it said, it says Laban overtook Jacob and he asks them you know, all these questions like, why did you flee in secret? Why didn't you let me say goodbye to my family? Which it sounds like he's... It kind of sounds like you'd be. Oh, I feel kind of bad for you. You didn't get. Yeah, because he said he wanted to. He wanted to send him off with tambourines. Yeah, I thought that was. But then no. Then he gets to the point. He's like, and somebody stole my household gods. That's what he's really worried about. Household gods. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, Uh, and Jacob, you're right. Jacob responds saying, "I was afraid. I thought you would take them from me by force." And um, and he's saying that he didn't take um he didn't take the gods and he was even like whoever did take those should die um so he, didn't he obviously know. didn't know Rachel yes, took him he didn't know and then when he's like go ahead look for him wherever you want and Laban goes looking and he gets to Rachel's tent and she pulls the ultimate girl excuse right she's like oh I can't get up because the way of women is upon me <laughs> which I'm like it's so funny but I mean we don't know whether it was or not we don't know but we can assume she was lying here because she was trying to hide the um the household gods in her camel she was like i can't get off because i'm a woman (laughs) (laughs) i have a woman way (laughs) so once again we see that sin begets sin yes and then um jacob gets mad and is like see i didn't do anything why are you chasing me down um this is all paraphrase (laughs) um and he was reminding him of all that he's done for Laban, that he worked for him all these years, and he was always honest, and he worked hard. And then in verse, verse 42, he finishes by saying, If the God of my father Abraham and Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. So Jacob somehow 
was aware of what had, what had yeah. happened and is is saying, my God is the true God. Yep. And he has protected me and he has blessed me. I thought that was really interesting that he was saying that. He's like, you're coming here to get these household gods? And like, no, there is a one true God. to my God. Yes. Like, he talked to you last night. Didn't yeah. you see? Yeah. Yeah. And then there's this kind of weird, can you call it a covenant? Yeah, it's a covenant between each other. Okay. Okay. Um, with the stones. And I heard something that was really interesting that we see that Jacob made one, right? And that's for mm-hmm. the one true God. And then Laban used a lot of like stones. A pile of stones. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he, they basically say, let the Lord watch between you and me when we were out of one another's sight. And that's so funny because this just goes back to biblical literacy. Because if you just read that one verse, I'm going to just read it. What verse is that, Aaron? That is verse. Oh, yeah. It says it's 49. So it says, the Lord watched between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. So if you were to just take that in the it, out of context, you'd be like, okay, guys, have a good day at school. Let the Lord watch over you and me when we're out of each other's sight. You're like, yeah. Sounds good, right? But actually what they're doing is more of a threat. Right. Like, let right. the wor- Lord watch while we're mm-hmm. not around each other. And if you do something wrong, so it's just funny. Like, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with saying, yes, the Lord will watch over you and me when you're at school and I'm at home. But that's not the that intended specific purpose verse of that is verse. taken out of context. Yeah. yeah. yeah I thought that was funny. And this stood out to me because um when they're when they're talking at the end here, Laban says the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor and the God of their father judge between us. But then Jacob says fear of his father Isaac. So they're making this distinction. So obviously Laban still didn't quite understand because he threw Nahor in there. Mm. And Nahor was not a God-fearing uh, man. Yeah. And so that stood out to me. So they were obviously still on different pages as far as the God that they were right. talking about. Oh, that's interesting. So then we see that the word uh, fear of Isaac in that verse. Did you did your scripture say fear? Because I got kind of yep. stuck on that. Yeah, it did. So it, it did. said the, the fear of Isaac would could actually be translated as um, as just God of, or you would say like, the God who was was feared feared by Isaac. Isaac. Yeah. Yeah. And then they departed and then that chapter ends and we're actually going to end right here. And we're going to pick up um, with verse 32 next week um, because we've already got almost an hour going here, but we do just want to leave you guys with a little quote to end. This is in Dr. Griffith Thomas's commentary on Genesis. And it says, when we can't understand why God is using someone like Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, we have to remind ourselves that there is nothing arbitrary about God and his ways. Our truest wisdom, when we cannot understand his reasons, is to rest quietly and trustfully, saying, even so, Father, for it seems good in your sight. In his will is our peace. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. And most importantly, share with a friend. The beautiful music that you've heard on this episode today is by the incredibly talented Katie Cobbs.